Well, hello there. You all look wet. Hey, just think if it was below freezing, this could be a very different morning. And i got to be careful here. This is kind of wobbly. Well, hey, if you have a Bible with you, whether a print Bible or an electronic Bible, you can go ahead and open that or flip open that to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. And we're going to look at seven verses in Isaiah 9 uh, as we continue in this series, uh, which uh, George was uh, discussing that a little earlier today. Hey, before we jump in, and while you're turning there, I have a picture that I want to show you. And I want to know if any of you guys recognize this man. He's a chemist and a biologist. Does anybody happen to know who this is? His, I thought I heard somebody. Louis, Louis Pasteur, that's right. Or if you're from the South, Louis Pasteur. So that's who that is. I really, until lately, did not know that his name was pronounced differently because that's how we said it in our North Carolina high school. Yeah, Louis Pasteur. And so he was a cool guy. Uh, All of you at some point in grade school, hopefully, if he went to an accredited school, were required to learn who this man was and about his work. He's most known for the process that we now call pasteurization. So if you had a bowl of cereal this morning with milk, you can thank Mr. Pasteur for said milk and its uh, hygiene properties and how... It was, uh, you know, free of bacteria, hopefully, for you when you had it this morning. He's, he's known for a lot of things. He did a lot of cool things in the realm of biology and medicine and healthcare and so on, uh, immunology and, and so on and so forth. Uh, what he's also known for is he has a title. He's known as the father of modern medicine, the father of modern medicine. Obviously not because every doctor that you know is his son or, or daughter, but because he, he fathered this, really, this new world that uh, we see now in healthcare. And, and hygiene, these kind of things. So probably the biggest thing in that realm that he's known for is the science of immunizations, right, and vaccines. So most of you, hopefully all of you, have gotten some kind of vaccine in your life, and we can attribute these things to this guy right here. Uh, the process by which this happened is kind of funny. Kind of funny how he stumbled across this. So I was, I was reading up on how he came to discover how we can vaccinize against diseases, these kind of things. And so he had uh, some experiments that he was doing with chickens. And so he was actually growing cultures of bacteria and then feeding them to the chickens. And once they got sick, he was trying to figure out the best treatment to help them get better. And so he was going through these experiments. Well, he uh, grew a culture of bacteria that spoiled. Okay, it didn't fully... I don't know, some of you are doctors and nurses, so you could, you, if you want a tag team, we could do this. But uh, they, they didn't fully bacterialize or whatever that is, right? So, uh, <laughs> sorry. Shouldn't say this in Hershey country when half of you are doctors, right? But uh, so, so, so they, they spoiled in some way and, and they didn't have the full effect. So we gave the bacteria to the chickens and they got sick, but they didn't get as sick as they, as they were expected to, in other words. And so he figured out oh, something happened with the bacteria. That's a, that's a bad thing. He was actually about to go on vacation. So he calls up a buddy of his. And Louis says, hey, hey, buddy, can you come over and watch my chickens while I'm on vacation? I want you to go ahead and treat them. You know how to do this. Just treat them as if they got the full disease or whatnot. And then when I come back, you know, we'll resume testing in, in other ways. Okay? So he left on vacation. His buddy heard the word vacation and thought, that's a great idea. And he decided to go on vacation and forgot about the chickens, right? And so Louis came back, and he noticed that the chickens were still sick, but... If they had gotten the full force of the bacteria, then they would have died or been deathly ill at this point. But they were actually appearing to get better, and eventually they healed completely. So they thought, oh, well, that was kind of a strange act of nature. Oh, well, we'll we'll just go through the process again. So he went and whipped up a new batch of bacteria. I'm not sure how one does this, but there are ways. And so he whips up new bacteria. He feeds it to a bunch of chickens. Uh, Several of the chickens get sick, but the ones that were in the failed experiment didn't get sick at all. 
And so his buddy, remember his buddy? Yeah, that guy. So he said, ah, oh, let's just throw the chickens out. We'll just get rid. And, and Louis said, no, wait a second. We might be on to something. He realized that they were now immune to the bacteria because they got kind of a faulty bacteria in the first place and they recovered from it. Their body learned how to recover from it. So that's how we get uh, immunizations and vaccines today. That was the early science of it. In fact, I was thinking of him earlier this month when I got my latest dose of the tetanus shot. And so uh, some of you have maybe recently gotten that every 10 years or so. I think you're supposed to get that. Uh, so this is for, for reasons like this, he is known as the father of modern medicine. I mean, our lives have been, compl- the health world has been completely changed because of work that guys like this have done. He's the father of modern medicine. Now, when we get into Isaiah 9, we're going to see there's a title. There's four titles given to him. You guys know this if you've been here. One of those titles is Everlasting Father. And in the same way, we're going to see Jesus in light of this. Uh, and, and as we read this, we're going to see him as a father in two ways. Number one, he is the father of this new movement. He's going to usher in what, what he ended up calling the kingdom of God. And we see that all through the New Testament. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is coming. He's going to usher, he's going to father this in. But then secondly, there's, there's somewhat of a personal touch to that word father. He could have said king. He could have said, you know, something else. But he used the word father. And so there's this personal relationship that comes along with it. So we're going to look at these today. And before we read, you need to realize that Isaiah is writing to people who are living in a chaotic world, in a chaotic time of the nation of Judah, and they are waiting very anxiously for the coming Messiah to arrive and to initiate this kingdom of God, to, you know, right all the wrongs, so on and so forth. And what they have to realize right now is how am I going to live in the present reality that I'm in as I wait for the coming kingdom? But how am I going to live out the kingdom as I'm in this present reality? And so that's what we're going to realize today because... We're kind of in the same boat, are we not? Now, before I read the text, I want to say something that's a bit taboo to say in church, right? We don't really hear this kind of thing in church a lot. Uh, But but I'm just going to lay my cards out. I'm just going to be bluntly honest with you. When I became a Christian, my problems didn't go away. I don't know. Do any of you feel that way sometimes? And obviously all of us feel that way at times, right? Maybe you've thought in the past or maybe you're thinking right now, man, I thought that following Jesus would enrich my marriage, but man, we are having more problems now than ever, and I don't, maybe you wonder if this is going to work out, right? I thought that following Jesus was going to bring me peace. However, I have everything but peace, and I'm, I'm living in more stress and anxiety and worries about the future than, than, I, than I ever have in, in the past, and this is, I thought Jesus, following Jesus would bring me more peace, but it's not getting better. I thought that following Jesus would make me more happy, that I would find more fulfillment in this, but I'm doggone it. I'm just not very happy right now. We all go through these seasons. Maybe you're in one of those seasons right now. And the reality, the reality is we're living in the present age. We're living in the here and now. We're looking for this kingdom that is coming, that Jesus is going to start, that we've been reading about, but wow, what do we do right now? That's the reality that we are living in. And so seeing Jesus as our everlasting father, it really speaks directly to this. Okay, so without further ado, let's open our Bibles and look at Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah 9, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 to give us a picture of the text surrounding verse 6. The Bible says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. 
You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at harvest time, as warriors rejoice when dividing plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. It'll be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Listen to this. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. <clears throat> the zeal of the Lord's, sorry, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so there's two concepts that come up in this text that I want us to look at. The first is this, that there's this language of this new government or this new kingdom is the new word that Jesus used. There's this new kingdom that is coming. So we're going to talk about what, what is the kingdom of God? What does that mean? And then secondly, it's the term father. There's other words that he could have used for that title, but he chose the word father. There's a relational piece there, a uh, component to that. So we're going to look at these two things. And the question that I want you to answer today is this, and I'm going to ask you this question several times. Hopefully you're able to grapple with this. How am I going to live in today's reality? How am I going to live in today's reality as I live out tomorrow's reality? How am I going to live in the present age as I live out the age to come? Okay? So that's the question we're going to grapple with this morning. So let's look at our outline here if you're taking notes. Number one, Jesus will found an everlasting kingdom. Jesus will found an everlasting kingdom. And so look at verse 6 again. It says, a child will be born. Not a normal child, but one who, yes, he's man, but he's also divinity. He's actually God in the flesh. And, and right off the bat, we see that this child is going to start some kind of government. He says, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. He's going to rule and reign this thing, right? And so I, I just want you to hold that thought for just a moment. Fast forward, so 700 years passes by, right? And then the child is born. The first Christmas that we celebrate actually comes. Jesus is born. His disciples are with him. His followers are with him. And they're thinking, this is the guy. This is the guy. Man, I grew up, I was sitting on my granddad's lap and I remember hearing this story. I went to the temple on the Sabbath day and I heard the priest read this story. I've looked at the scroll and I've read the titles of Jesus and this is the guy. He's the wonderful counselor. I've heard him speak. He's, he's the almighty God. I've seen his power. He has authority over demons. He has authority over nature. I mean, this is the guy. He's, he's the everlasting father. He's going to father. He's going to usher in this new kingdom. I, and then, of course, it, it, they're waiting. They're waiting. He, he dies. They're disappointed. He resurrects from the dead. They're excited again. And, and here's the first question they ask him. The first question they ask him, hey, are, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom? We've been waiting. We've been following. Are, are, are you going to, 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 are you going to do, establish, restore the kingdom now, that's what they've been waiting for. And so they have to live in this reality that Jesus came and he initiated the kingdom. He inaugurated the kingdom. He established the kingdom. However, it is not fully realized. Some theologians call this the already not yet. The kingdom is already here. And Jesus used this language, the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of, of, of heaven, the kingdom of God, it has started already. However, it's not fully here. It's not fully Realized. It's not fully consummated, in other words. Okay? So maybe you're wondering what this language means. What is the kingdom of God? If I were to just kind of put it in one sentence that kind of sums the whole thing up, it's this. It's 
the realm over which God rules in sovereign authority. That's, what, that's the definition of the kingdom of God. It's the realm over which God rules in sovereign authority. And so the kingdom of God, it's when all the promises of the Old Testament, all the promises of the Bible are going to be completely in every way fulfilled. And, and so we see this in the text. In verse 2, people walking in darkness, they see a great light, right? Verse 3, it's an enlarged nation where the citizens are filled with joy. In verse 4 and 5, it's the army that they, they fought the bullies of the Assyrians, right? And now the yoke that was on their shoulders in verse 5 has changed to, in verse 6, the government that is on this Messiah's shoulders. It's when God makes all the wrongs right again. It's where he takes words like unemployment and cancer and just takes them out of our dictionary. And, and, and this looks different. It looks like what verse 7 talks about, right? It's the kingdom of God. And so what's the, what's the holdup here is kind of what they're asking. Now I have a question. How many of you have maybe a friend or relative who's always jumping on some kind of new fad or new hobby? Do you have anybody like that? Maybe they call you up every once in a while and, oh, dude, I was watching Shark Tank and, and the sharks didn't jump on this, but I'm, I got the, the agent's number and you got to go in with me. You got to, or, hey, dad, have you ever heard of Bitcoin? You got to get this stuff. You got to get, I mean, do you have any, maybe you go to Thanksgiving dinner and it's, okay, great, what's the, what's the new thing going to be now? And but actually, maybe some of you took that next step and you actually invested in Shark Tank and you regret it. <laughs> Uh, maybe you bought a bunch of Bitcoin and now you just have a bit lip, you know, because it's gone the other way. Uh, I don't know if that's the case, but that's kind of the feeling that maybe sometimes we feel. We're, we're waiting for the kingdom to come. We've been waiting, but we still kind of live in this present reality where things, things don't always work out the way that we hoped it would if we ended up following Jesus. I thought things would, would get better, right? It's kind of like, uh, have you heard about the, the realistic protesters? You guys heard that story, the protesters? And they were, they were saying, they were shouting in a government building one day, what do we want? Gradual change. When do we want it? In due course. You know, it's not the, <laughs> I mean, it's not the most compelling message, is it, for, for a bunch of protesters. But, but what Jesus is saying is he's saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, the initial manifestation of the kingdom is here. You've seen some of these things. You've seen me do these. You've seen these things. You've experienced it. You've felt it. You've the initial manifestation of the kingdom is here, but it's also not yet here in reality. Let me draw something to the board. I think I saw the board way over here. So I'm going to awkwardly roll this thing over. Hopefully it squeaks and is just really awkward. Oh, no, not quite. Okay, so I'm going to show you a picture on the board, too, that uh, reveals what I'm looking at. And hopefully, hopefully most of us can see what's going on here. But here's kind of two time frames that we work with uh, in the Bible, especially in the New Testament. We live in the present age, and we are waiting for the age to come. Here are the two time periods that we get. We live in the present age, or Galatians 1.4 calls it the present evil age, and we are waiting for the age to come. Here's several verses that talk about these two time frames. And let me read two for you. Uh, Mark chapter 10, Jesus replied, no one has left home or brothers or sisters or mothers, so on and so forth, and they will not receive a hundred times as much in this present age and in the age to come, eternal life. Ephesians 1.21 has the same time frames. He's writing about rule and authority and power and dominion. And he says, not only in the present age, where we live right now, right now in this time frame, but in the one to come. There's these two time frames that we live in. And so all of us, and in some ways, it's the people of Isaiah's day, we are living in the present age and we are still looking for the age to come. And so the question, I hope I don't fall here, the question that we have to answer is this, how are we going to live in the present age 
as we live out the age to come? How are we going to live in the present age as we live out the age to come? That is really the call to follow Jesus. That's really what the call is there. We look to the day. We look back to the day when Jesus came and he started the kingdom of heaven and he didn't quite finish it and so we're waiting for the next. This is the tension that we live with. This is the Christian walk. And so here's the question that I have for you again today. What is God teaching you right now? As, as you, what is your angst right now? What, what is causing you to long for the kingdom to come, to long for Jesus to come for the second time? What is causing you to long for that the most? So what, what situation are you going through right now that is causing you to long for that the most? And what is God asking you to do to live out the age to come as you live with the present realities of the present world? Okay? So not only will Jesus found an everlasting kingdom, number two, point number two if you're taking notes, Jesus will father a new people. Jesus will father a new people. So notice that right in the middle of this militant language of this child who's going to come, the government will be on his shoulders. Right, right in the middle of all this, he's called a father. And so these four titles that were read, they, they kind of show us this Messiah from four different angles. As a wonderful counselor, we see his, his wisdom. As almighty God, we see his, his, his power. As the prince of peace, we see his, his character, we see his royalty. And as everlasting father, we see that he cares for us too. He's, there's this relationship that he wants with us as well. As I was thinking about this for the last uh, few weeks, I, I pictured myself as a dad. How many of you are dads in here? How many of you are fathers? Would you raise your hand? Very good. Uh, several of you. <clears throat> as a couple, uh, a couple weeks ago, I was out on a walk with my daughter over in Deer Run. And uh, we, we were walking along. And, and I was thinking about this. And I decided to ask my daughter. She's four years old. So she's, she's tiny and cute. And so I asked her. I said, what, what makes a daddy a good daddy? What's a, what, what does it mean to be a good daddy? And she kind of looked up for a second. If you know my daughter, she's got quite the facial expressions. And so she, she was kind of thinking. What? And she said, a good daddy goes to work. That's what she said. I said, okay, I'm, I'm gainfully employed. I'm one for one. This is, I said, so I said, what else? I said, what else? And she thought and she said, good daddies play with their kids. I said, oh, that's okay. That's good. What else? That's all. And she grabbed my hand and we kept walking. So, that's, so, if, so if you do those two things, I guess you're a, a good dad. But no, I, I thought, you know what? My four-year-old daughter summed up what it means to be a good dad is there, there's a work to be done. There's a work to be done to make this world as good as it can be for his kids as a good father. And then secondly, it's not all about me paying the bills and making sure you got all your stuff met and your doctor bills paid for and your insurance. It's not, it's not just that. There's also this caring relationship that I have. I just thought that was kind of profound for a four-year-old, right? even though she didn't verbalize it this way. But she was thinking all these things, don't believe me. Right? <laughs> On a side note, the next week I asked my son the same question. He's a little older, he's five and a half, so he's about a year and a half older than her. And I asked my son the same question. He just went, I don't know, he has kids. And that was, that was it. I mean, so I guess a prerequisite to being a good father is you have to be a father in the first place. So I said, thank you, son, that's very, that's very insightful. I'm going to share that with the congregation, right? So... Uh, but we, all, but we all need a good father. And so he's called an everlasting father. I think there's at least two reasons uh, that he is called an everlasting father in this text. Number one, he wants you to be a part of this. He wants you to be a part of the family of God. And really, the disciples and everyone when he came the first time, why isn't he starting the kingdom right now? All along, his plan was not to come and build up the kingdom of God with just the Jewish people. All along, the plan 
was for the entire world, the Gentiles, if you're steeped in Bible stuff, the, the entire world would be able to, to, to follow Jesus and become a part of this coming kingdom that he is starting. And so why didn't he establish his kingdom right off the bat? Well, the main reason is he wanted you to be a part of it. He wanted the entire world to be open to being part of this kingdom of God. And there's many times where I have thought, man, why, when is Jesus going to come back again? I, I can't wait. I'm reading this prophecy stuff. I can't wait until Jesus comes for the second advent. It's been 2,000 years already. But you know what? I keep coming back to... I'm glad that he waited at least until I was born. And I'm glad that he waited until I was a teenager because that's when I decided to follow Jesus. If he had not waited that long, I may be destined for eternal punishment instead of eternal life with him. I'm glad he waited that long. A couple years later, I had kids. I had toddlers. And I remember thinking, I hope he waits at least long enough for my kids to have a chance to follow Jesus. Man, I want him to come now, but... At the same time, I hope he waits. I'm, I'm sure one day I'm going to be on my knees saying, God, would you please wait? Not that he would necessarily do the time frame based on what I say, but Father, I hope that you, you would wait just a little bit longer because I want my grandkids. I want my neighbors. I want my coworkers. I want those in my spheres of influence to have a chance to follow you and to become a part of the age to come so they can be a part of this. And so he, he is waiting. He wants more people to be a part of his kingdom. That's one of the reasons why he tarried. I think there's a second reason why they use this term, that he functions as a father in the sense that he fathers us through this present age. If I can use the word father in a verb. He's, he's, he's shepherding us. He is, he is helping us through. He is seeing us through. He is fathering us as we live in the present age, living out the age to come. We live in the present age and we live out the kingdom of God. We live out the age to come. And he is fathering us through this. And... And I need to take a time out real quick and just explain that sometimes we can get confused with another Christian doctrine called the Trinity. And we think, wait a second, I thought that God the Father was something different from Jesus. And, and that is, this text is about Jesus Christ, the coming Messiah. And we worship as Christians one God. And that one God has one essence, but he exemplifies himself in three persons. One God, one essence, three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This text is about Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is not... God the Father, we're not trying to, uh, to confuse that, but he acts as a father. He fathers us through the present age. That is what the text is getting at here. And there's many ways in which he does that. He protects and provides for us. He promises that we will never go through anything that is too difficult, that he deems is too difficult for us to experience. He pursues us. In Hebrews 1, I love this text, that in the past God spoke to us through our ancestors, through the prophets, and in many various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son. His son actually came. He pursues us. He sends us. And there are times in your life where you've had a passion for something, a heart for something. You've wanted to, man, God is stirring me to do such and such. He, he sends us to be a part of this living out the kingdom of God. He, he sends us as part of his mission, right? Sometimes he stretches us. He makes us go through things because... It's for the benefit of other people. It's for the benefit of ourselves to grow our own faith so that we can do something else in the future. He's fathering us through this. In some way, no one is for us like Jesus, our everlasting father, is for us. He is for us as we are in this present age living out the age to come. Now, I don't know if some of you guys have noticed this. There's been a little bit of advertisement and stuff done for fatherhood. And so fatherhood.org. Does that make sense to any of you guys? Have you seen the billboards they put out? It's the National Fatherhood Initiative. Here's one of these uh, billboards. And here's the mission of the NFI. The National Fatherhood Initiative, I'm reading their mission statement, is the nation's leading nonprofit organization working to end father absence. 
Underlying many of society's most pressing challenges is a lack of father involvement in their children's life. That's, that's their mission statement. And here's what their vision is. Their vision is for every child to grow up with an involved, responsible, and committed father. And so they've really been pushing this, and, and the government and various branches of government and other nonprofits have partnered with them. And so they have this ad campaign going. How many of you have seen this one up on billboards? I think it's in Mechanicsburg. I've seen it. Even an evil mad scientist guy, uh, it's, it's a great time to be a dad. Um, here's, a, here's another one. We have a few. Um, now, if there's any kids in here, can you remind me? Who's this cartoon? Kung Fu Panda. Kung Fu Panda. That's who I thought it was, but thank you. But I wasn't sure. Uh, so, and so there's, there's another one. Here, here's a good one. Even the Mucinex guy or Flubber. You guys remember Flubber? That was a great man, Robin Williams. That was great. Uh, so so even, even the Mucinex guy or this green blob can be a good dad. And here's, here's one of my favorite ones here, dad jokes rule. Uh, man, you know, the art of telling dad jokes, you just you can't teach that, right? You just have to, it's, uh, it, it comes with, when you leave the hospital, you, you just, I don't know, something happens, right? You transform and, and you tell very corny, but it's an adorable picture. There's something about dads that, man, I can look to Jesus as, as my father figure. I can look to him to father me through this present age. And if I were to ask all of you, one-on-one one -on -one or in a group, if I were to ask you, describe your dad to me. Tell me, tell me what, was, what was your dad like or what is your dad like if, if, uh, if, if he's still involved in your life? And some of you would say, oh, Nick, my dad is the best. My dad was the best dad. I mean, he taught me X, Y, Z. He gave me a passion for, you know, whatever it is. He's the one who embodied honor and integrity and, and, and patience and endurance and he instilled me with confidence. He gave me passions for various things. My, my dad was the best. Some of you have that, uh, that kind of memory or relationship with your father, and that's amazing. And, and I think you can realize that the man or woman that you are today is because of your dad's influence in your life. A lot of your confidence and, and, and self-esteem is drawn from him and how he poured into you. I, I like this, uh, this interview that Lucille Ball, the uh, the first lady of American comedy, she's been called, Lucille Ball, was in an interview with Merv Griffin. And here's a question that Merv asked, him, asked her. He said, Lucille, you've lived a long time on this earth. You're a wise person. What's happened to our country? What's wrong with our children? Why are families falling apart? And what's missing? And I love, I, I, it's intriguing what Lucy answered. Here's what Lucille Ball answered. She said, Papa's missing. Things are falling apart because Papa's gone. If Papa were here... He would fix it. That's what papas do. Papas fix things. They come in. They intervene. They, if papa were here, things would be better. And so some of you have this relationship or memory of a relationship with your father. I mean, he was, he was papa. I mean, he was, he was the one that, that made me who I am. He, I'm not the only one involved, of course, but, but he's part of who I am today. There's a stability and a foundation to life that's just impossible to match from a good father. Now, I realize that some of you, maybe, maybe that's not the answer you could give, unfortunately, and you'd say, you know, my, Nick, my dad was not a very great dad. Uh, maybe it's a story of, of abuse, emotional abuse, verbal abuse, physical abuse. Maybe, maybe he was just never around, and when he was, he was just kind of not really there, not really, he was passive, not really present. Uh, maybe he demonstrated the antithesis of integrity and love, and I'm, I'm very sorry if, if, if that's your story, but... Uh, in, in another way, in another sad way, that also influences who we are. That influences the kind of person that we grow up to be. Uh, singer and songwriter Demi Lovato, some of you know her. Uh, she's a songwriter, and, and she's actually written some very descriptive songs about her own relationship with her father. And this is kind of the story that she would have to, have to share. One of her songs uh, named Daddy Issues is particularly disturbing for me as a dad of a daughter. 
uh, and one that I hope not to repeat for my daughter. But there's another song that she wrote called Father. And, and listen to me as I, as I read the lyrics to this. She said, Father, this is after he passed away she wrote this. I'm going to thank you even if I'm still hurt. I'm going to say bless you. I want to mean those words. I always wished you the best. I prayed for your peace. Even if you started this whole war in me, you did your best. Or did you? And then she goes on. Sometimes I think I hate you. I'm sorry, Dad, for feeling this. I can't believe I'm saying it. I know you were a troubled man. Alcoholism is what he battled with. I know you never got the chance to be yourself, to be your best. I hope that heaven's gift to you is a second chance. And in here, she reminisces that the person that she's become, the good, bad, and the ugly sometimes, is a direct result of the relationship that she had with her dad. And I think for some of us, <clears throat> we may not realize even into adulthood or once our father is gone, the kind of influence that he had for, for, for good or bad. There's something about a father that, that has this kind of influence on us. And so Jesus Christ, he wants to be the best. Everything that a good father is, Jesus Christ can be for his people. And he wants to be the very best kind of father for you. The way that we think, the habits that we keep, the old patterns that we revert to, the decisions they made, they're all influenced by our Father. And Jesus Christ wants to influence us in these very same ways, in the very best way. I'm going to go ahead and call the band up now. Uh, they're going to close us out in our closing song. So you guys can go ahead and, and come up and take your positions. But here's, here's what I want to remind you to do. <clears throat> think, about, think about the angst that perhaps you're going through in life right now. Think about whatever is in your life right now that is, that is making you think, Man, I wish more than ever right now that the kingdom of God would come right now. I wish that Jesus would come again now. Whatever, whatever that situation is right now for you that makes you long for that the most, I want you to think about that and ask yourself this question. What, what am I looking for in Jesus Christ to father me through this situation? How can I live in the present age as I look to the age to come? So think about that. And as, as we're singing this song, as I pray, maybe, maybe write some things down on paper. Write some things on paper that you've thought of as we've been in this message today. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, when you sent your son, Jesus Christ, you, you were doing so much more than sending someone to be a good role model for us. You were sending someone to usher in the kingdom of God. You were sending someone to be our Messiah and to represent what a great father is, our everlasting father. Father, I pray for everyone in this room that as we go about our lives, as we go about our week, that we would remember to live in the present age as we look to and as we live out the age to come. And would, would you give us everything that we need, equip us for the moments that we need so that we can live out the kingdom of God in this world. Amen. Would you please stand as we sing?